$700 million. $700 million. Shohei Otani just signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers Sunday. Sunday or Saturday? Saturday, maybe? Maybe it's Saturday. Saturday for $700 million. 10 years, $700 million. We've talked a little bit about what Shohei could have fetched this offseason because I didn't think there was any shot. I mean, even if he did re-sign with the Angels, it probably I think it would have been with, for more money if they had offered it, but I didn't think there was any single shot that Shohei was going to re-sign with the Angels. Um... And we've talked a little. We talked a little bit about how much he would have fetched in the open market. I said five. I said half a billion. That was probably at the. I said. I think I said at the most six hundred billion or six hundred million dollars. I did not think it would be almost three quarters of a billion dollars. But here we are. The Dodgers, basically the only team that I think in the MLB that can really make that deal, other than. The Yankees, I guess, but outside of those two teams, pretty much the only two that can sign um, a player like him to that kind of money. And now the entire contract um, business has been turned on its head. Uh, I don't think Juan Soto is going to fetch that kind of money at all, uh, but I, he can approach with that kind of offer. I guess he can, he can say, Hey, I'd like to be this high, the highest paid athlete in the sport. I don't think they're going to get paid that much. I don't think Shohei or excuse me, uh, Juan Soto is going to get paid that much. I think he could probably fetch half a million dollars or half a billion dollars for sure. If that's the money we're kind of dishing out for Shohei Otani. Um, but Shohei brings so much to the table on both sides of the of the diamond, whether it be hitting or pitching. That and the thing is, too, the Dodgers aren't even going to get him for his pitching this season, and maybe even into next season, uh, because he had Tommy John surgery. So he's not going to be available at all to pitch for at least the first year and a half that he is a Dodger under this contract. So, and they were totally okay with that. They said, "We'll dish out the seven hundred million regardless. We do not care." Um, Incredible. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. We're going to touch a little bit more on this contract uh, that Otani has signed in truly a unbelievable contract that I don't know. I mean, it, it, you would imagine it's only going to go up from here for the most part. I mean, he is such a unique player and what he's able to do on both sides of the ball or on both sides of the diamond that it'll be hard that to imagine that we're going to see very many players like him. Now he will probably inspire a whole new generation of um, two way stars, especially with the contract that he just signed that you know, eventually we're going to get another one. Um, but it's hard to imagine one as talented at both sides that he is uh, that as talented as he is on both sides, um, pitching and hitting. So just, Mind blowing, uh, truly like it blew my mind because I did not think he would fetch anything over $600 million just because we'd never seen anything really like that. Uh, and the way baseball has kind of played out with their, uh, regional sports contracts. And again, the Dodgers with them with baseball, not having a salary cap of any kind, uh, and the Dodgers having the great, the, the best regional sports contract that there is. Um, it's, I guess it made sense that they were the ones that were able to get this deal done. Um, and the amount of, you know, national TV money that they break, they rake in just being a household name and not just baseball in all of American sports, the Los Angeles, I would argue that at this point, there may not be a, a bigger household name in American sports than the Los Angeles Dodgers, probably the the Dallas Cowboys, definitely in baseball. I think they're a bigger product. Um, you know, nationally than any other baseball team. You could argue the Yankees for sure. I probably wouldn't argue there or argue with you on that, but there has not been a more consistently top of their division in the national conversation team over the last 15 years than the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Yankees have struggled to put, you know, consecutive good seasons together. I think part of their spotlight has dimmed a little bit because they haven't really had outside of Aaron judge before him, huge stars since their last world series team, which was what? 2008, 2009, I believe. Um, and since then they haven't really been able to put together a large amount of stars in my opinion. Uh, and the Dodgers have kind of put a bunch of them together. I mean, Clayton Kershaw came through their system 
Matt Kemp won an MVP with them. Uh, Adrian Beltre came to them. Uh, you know, Adrian Gonzalez, a bunch of other guys. Mookie Betts now, Freddie Freeman, Otani now. Uh, and, and I think they've been able to put together a pretty incredible resume of being able to put together really good and high value teams that are good at, um, I think, and they're, they're also very good at marketing their players as well, for the most part, I think, um, especially in that area of the country, like Los Angeles, California, just the entire West coast essentially knows who the Dodgers are and where they play, you know, and, and I think a lot of their, um, marketability with their logo and such, just the, the very iconic LA that hasn't changed whatsoever, uh, has become a, a very iconic symbol in that part of the world in the West coast of the United States. And, um, I just don't think you'll find a bigger, more um, massive marketable pro, uh, franchise in the terms of what they produce. Uh, and again, they haven't won very many World Series, but they have been, I think they've won once in 15 years. Um, and it was a 2020 World Series, which a lot of people just kind of brush under the rug, which, you know, I don't necessarily agree with, but, you know, that, that needs to be stated. But with their ability to market their team, their players and how consistently successful they have been in the regular season. They haven't really had a bad regular season. It feels like in about 15 years, like they've been consistently in the playoffs fighting for divisional titles, uh, fighting for NLCS titles or what have you um, getting to world series games. They've got, you know, plenty of those guys that I mentioned before the Matt Kemp's, the Cody Bellinger, they had the most electric player electrics, maybe a strong work. Most, uh, the most, a guy that kind of broke through in terms of personality and Yasiel Puig, who was kind of ahead of his time in the way that we were doing personality guys in the, um, in the MLB. Now we kind of see more of it with the guys like Bryce Harper. And he was kind of coming up the same time as uh, Yasiel Puig was, but uh, I think more people were were tuning into Yasiel Puig and Dodgers games because of his antics and such before they were doing it for Bryce Harper and Bryce Harper, not necessarily, you know, bad antics, but just more of excitement for the game. And I think Yasiel Puig was really the launching pad for a lot of that. I think, um, even though he wasn't the, the greatest player on planet earth, but he was a lot of fun to watch just because he was entertaining and he was in the perfect place to do all that in LA. So, um, and again, like there's not any other team in the MLB other than the Yankees that would have done that. And the Yankees would be rolling over in their grave if they saw Jack George Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner would be rolling over in his grave if he saw what Yasiel Puig was doing. And, you know, a lot of the excitement and the boastfulness that some of the Dodgers have put together on their teams and stuff. So, but that's what makes it fun. Baseball is fun. Um, it's the biggest, con- like just looking at 30 years ago, this $700 million deal in 2023. Let's go back 30 years ago, 1993. The biggest contract that was signed or the biggest annual contract, I guess, uh, that was signed or it was currently in progress for that season was Bobby Bonilla's contract that had been deferred after that. Not too long after that. Uh, it was a five year. Get ready for this five year, twenty nine million dollar contract for the Mets. I think it was an average annual value of about six point two five million, something like that. So now Shohei Otani, 30 years later, just 30 years later. Shohei Otani is going to be making, what is that, $64 million per year more per season? Absurd. Just absolutely insane how much the contracts have completely blown up, especially in baseball. Of all the ga- of all the sports that, and baseball has really, really fallen by the wayside, um, I think with a lot of, not even, with a lot of the American public, just that's a fact. They had to change how they were being, how baseball games were being played uh, with the pitch clock and whatnot in order to bring in a younger audience. And uh, just the eyes on baseball have not have shrunk drastically. I mean, we're seeing NFL has now become the biggest sport in North America, followed not closely, but followed by um, basketball, which has become very predominantly the second most watched sport in this country uh, when it is having its season. And then it's baseball in the summer. And whenever they do have their season, which is the summer, a lot of people still don't. Um, like casual fans don't tune in as much because you still have the NBA finals that go into June, uh, the NBA playoffs into the NBA finals that the NBA finals start in June. Uh, and then after that, it's basically training camp for football and, and not saying the training camp stuff is more important than the, uh, than the MLB. But, um, a lot of that has to do with the MLB's inability to, I think, change up until recently, uh, with how much, you know, it was kind of 
gawked at the idea of having fun during baseball games or whatever, showboating, that sort of stuff. And now it's becoming a lot more popular. It's becoming a lot more fun to watch uh, because of that sort of stuff. But um, the fact that we're still able to, that baseball teams are still able to dish out this kind of contract is kind of mind numbing. Like I cannot believe that they're able to for, I don't understand, I guess how the Dodgers granted again, one of the most profitable teams in baseball. I don't understand in sports. I don't understand how they're able to dish out this kind of money over 10 years and still make a lot of that money back. That is a question for somebody that is not smarter than me or that is smarter than me. Excuse me. That is not uh, of my smartness level, a lot smarter than me. I would love to have a conversation with a GM of some kind to talk about how, um, I guess not even a GM, an owner uh, of how they kind of go through the, the, the money parts of this, because it just, it blows my mind with the, with how we've seen regional sports networks kind of fall apart around the baseball, around baseball and even, you know, basketball as well, but just regional sport sports networks where a lot of teams got their money and the ability to pay their payroll from, which was regional sports networks. They're completely falling apart. And now we see the Dodgers who granted have the strong, probably the strongest regional sports network contract in the business. Um, we see them put out a $700 million contract. That's, you know, no other team basically in sports, uh, especially in baseball, is ever going to be able to match. It's just, I don't know how they're able to do it. I just don't get it. There are a ton of deferrals in this contract, which will help um, the Dodgers, according to sources. Obviously, they haven't put out the full details of the contract. Um, But there are a ton of deferrals in this contract, uh, apparently, that will help, you know, bring down the contract's annual value, which will allow the Dodgers to still go out and get uh, better players to help their team and make them competitive as well. Cause Otani has stated multiple times that that is the most important thing to him is being able to be competitive on a team um, that is pushing for a world, uh, trying to make world series. And obviously he wasn't getting that in, uh, in the other Los Angeles team in Anaheim and the angels. Uh, and so he goes to the Dodgers, which again, a perennial powerhouse consistently winning their division, making it to uh, getting, you know, first round uh, wildcard buys and getting into the divisional series. Not much further than that, you know, NLCS and world series, maybe. Um, but you know, he's the type of guy, type of bat in that lineup that will be able to push it over the edge. Um, the Dodgers with this contract, with this contract, the Dodgers just paid, paid out for, um, for Shohei Otani over 10 years, $700 million, but the average annual value, $70 million. Again, a lot of deferrals. That's probably going to look a lot different. It's probably not going to be $70 million a year. It's probably going to closer to like $54 million, that sort of thing. Um, but we'll see. Again, not not official. No official contract details have emerged yet, but we'll we'll see. But just going by the $700 million, that is true. That, that, is, that, is, that is going to end up happening. The $700 million is what is going to be paid out at the end of that contract. So the $700 million, what they could have paid the Dodgers, the Los Angeles Dodgers, this is what... Um, of that $700 million, the Dodgers could have paid for 43, 43 of the highest paid NFL running backs in the NFL. That is of their, 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 not their average annual contract, the total of their contract, the $700 million, the highest paid running back right now is Alvin Kamara, who is, had a, when he signed was 25 years old. I can't remember when he I believe it was 2020, if I remember correctly. Um, he signed a five year, $75 million deal. An average annual value of $15 million. So that's about 60, uh, not 60, 60, 15, let's do the math here, 55, $55 million difference between average annual value. So with that 700, uh, let's go through the list. I'm going to go through the list very quickly of the, all the running backs that they could have purchased. They could have bought out and have their, and had them whatever they wanted to do with them, essentially, (laughs) if they were to purchase their contract with that $700 million deal. Let's go through it. Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, Bijan Robinson, James Conner, David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Jamal Williams, Josh Jacobs, Joe Mixon, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Cordero Patterson, Tony Pollard, Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, Brees Hall, Gus Edwards, Naheem Hines, Javante Williams, DeAndre Swift, Kenneth Walker, Samaj P. Ryan, Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, Zach Charbonnet, uh, Cam Akers, Jeff Wilson, James Cook, J.K. Dobbins, Keandre Miller, Raheem Mostert, Ty J. Spears, Davon A. Shane, Tank Bigsby, A.J. Dillon, Rashad White, Brian Robinson, uh, and Brian Robinson, Brian and Brian Robinson. That's the last one. And they could have bought all of those uh, those those contracts out from all of those players and still had five million dollars to spare. That is 
So absurd. Just to put that into perspective, that is what they could have done with the money they just spent to purchase. So it's one guy, Shohei Otani. They could have purchased 43 other NFL running backs if they wanted to. I don't know why we don't see more teams just purchase like, like collective te- like the Dodgers purchasing NFL teams. Now, granted, it's a lot different. You know, you're not just purchasing players. You're purchasing every piece of the product, obviously, with, you know, TV contracts. You know, we, we just saw the, the Washington Commanders sell for whatever it was. It was a couple billion dollars, like $3.2 billion, a, a, a team and a organization that has been a complete wreck. Uh, over since basically since Dan Snyder took over, but they still went up uh, substantially in price up to like $2 billion or whatever it was. Um, So it's a little different for NFL teams. Like they're consistently going up in price, Uh, but maybe an NBA team or an NHL team or something like that, maybe a smaller NBA team, the Dodgers could just swoop in, be like, Hey, we're going to purchase you for, we just purchased one player for $700 million. We can purchase the, what's a small team, the San Antonio Spurs. That's probably a bad pick because they have some history. The Charlotte Hornets. We can purchase the Charlotte Hornets for, they could probably purchase the Charlotte Hornets for $1.5 billion. Well, they already paid half of that basically for one single player. Uh, and they will be playing. I guess it's over 10 years. So it's a little different, but that that's the price that they've committed to over the next 10 years. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Um, here's some other comparisons that I thought were insane. Uh, Otani is made is making is going to make seven hundred million dollars over the next ten years. The entire Oakland Athletics payroll in the last ten seasons, the entire payroll for the last ten seasons, has to- totaled six hundred and sixty-seven million dollars. The Dodgers paid one guy seven hundred million dollars for the next ten years. The entire Oakland A's payroll in the last ten seasons is total six hundred and sixty-seven million dollars. That one is insane. That one. Blows my mind. Uh, so Shohei Otani's $70 million yearly salary. Again, this is just as it is right now. The simple math of 70 times 10 equals 700 million. It'll probably be a lot different with a bunch of deferrals, but we're just, we're having fun here. The $70 million yearly salary is worth more than the entire current payroll of eight other MLB teams. Eight other MLB teams are paying less than $70 million per year for their entire payroll and Otani is fetching, going to fetch approximately $70 million per year. Uh, finally, Otani's total of $700 million will be worth more by the time it's completed, by, by the time the 10 years are over, the $700 million will be worth more than any, any NBA player has ever made on court in their entire career. So that's on court. That's not including endorsements and such. So on court, Otani will make more money at the end of that contract, $700 million than any other NBA player has ever made on court in their entire career. What have I been, what's the, what's the running theme of this podcast? Just basically since the beginning, one of the, one of the running themes, it's not the main running thing, but it's definitely one of the running themes. Teach your kids to play baseball. Ladies and gentlemen, teach your kids to play baseball. Just go out, have some, play some catch with your kiddo at seven, eight years old. That'd be the perfect time to get him into baseball. Sit him down. Why make him watch some, not make, don't even make him just say, Hey, I got a sport we should watch. How about baseball? Let's watch some baseball, get him into it, get him into watching some baseball, have him go to the batting cage, just swing the bat around a little bit, get them to play baseball because you're talking about some, again, one, if you're comparing sports, a lot less, a lot less of a possibility of getting brain damage. Okay. A lot less of a possibility of getting brain, like a substantial smaller possibility of getting brain damage uh, compared to the NFL. You're going to probably play for a lot longer because the average, I don't even know if this, this statistic is true anymore. This has just been the common phrase that everybody's used since the beginning uh, or since I first heard it, but the common, the the most, um, most contracts in the, or most players in the NFL don't last longer than three and a half years. If you're a decent enough player in the MLB, you're going to last a lot longer than that. Like there's going to be utility guys that you can throw in there for the next nine years. And they'll make they'll make a decent amount of money. Even if they're not the greatest player in the world, they'll make a, a good amount of money just being that utility guy you can slot in anywhere. Look at Kike Hernandez. He's a perfect example. Not necessarily the greatest player on planet Earth. Uh, he's a utility guy, though, and he's played for nine years in the MLB, playing from shortstop to center field to left field. You can plug him in anywhere, and he's made about 90 million, excuse me, not 90 million, $30 million just playing wherever. Just playing for nine, for nine years. He's not the great, again, not the greatest player on the team. He hasn't been pretty much since he's been in the M- or the uh, in the MLB. He's never been the best guy, uh, the best guy on any of his teams. Uh, but he's been a guy you could just slot in, put him there, probably be a pretty.
pretty decent defensive player wherever you're playing him at, and he's made a, a cool thir- almost $31 million through nine seasons. And he's 32 years old. He's going to retire. He's probably going to be living great by the time he retires. You could have a great, uh, you know, a, a, a um, charity golf event that they can have out in L.A. because that's a very popular thing for some reason with a lot of uh, former players. They really get into their golf game, throw on some some charity golf events or something like that, and they go and play golf every single year at the end of every uh, for that charity event. And then they just continue to play golf for the rest of their life because they made $30 million playing baseball. It's awesome. It's aw- just teach your kid. I cannot stress this enough. Just teach your kid to play the great game of baseball and they will probably, you know, who knows where we'll be in terms of um, how much money they're dishing out this time, you know, 20 years from now. But Hey, I mean, if they're dishing out $700 million to show you Otani, who knows they could, it's probably going to be even more valuable by that time. Cause that's all it's done is gone up and up and up and up and up. And this is bad. <laughs> this is the, this would be terrible market advice because I'm basically telling you it's going to go up and up and up and never come down, which is terrible. That's bad advice. That's basically what happened during the 2008 market crash. It just kept going up and then we never expected it to go down. And then guess what? It went down, but guess what? I'm a believer. I'm a believer in these contracts just going up, just going because the, the I mean the prices of these teams have gone up consistently uh, in MLB, basically in every single sport, just consistently gone up and up and up again. Again, there's probably going to be a flashpoint where it'll collapse on itself, but it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet, and who knows if it does collapse? Maybe you'll just have a really good baseball player in the family. That'll be fun to talk about. That at the very least, it'll be it'll make for some very good dinner stories. Um, yeah, Shohei, $700 million, 10 years. I hate that he signed with the Dodgers, to be honest with you, because it's just the rich get richer. You know, it's just what are you going to do? Um, but, I mean, here we are. It's cool. I like Shohei, too. Like, Shohei seems like a very cool dude, fun to watch, um, an incredible baseball player. Uh, it sucks that we're not going to be able to see him pitch for the next year and a half or so, but, I mean, I'll watch him hit all day, too. So, Shohei, $700 million, just crazy. Have you visited Alpine Climate Control's showroom? They have fireplace features, furnaces, outdoor fire pits, and pizza ovens that are all hooked up and working so you can see exactly how they all function before you buy. They also have outdoor seating, heat, and lights available. Stop by Alpine Climate Control and visit the showroom today. The showroom is open weekdays from 8.30 until 4.30 and every Saturday from 10 until 4. Alpine Climate Control located at 2705 Coffeen Avenue in Sheridan and online at alpineclimatecontrol.com. The Heisman Heisman ceremony was this weekend. Did anybody forget that? I did. did. It's just a weird time for the Heisman ceremony to be taking place, right? Like, there's no other college football except for the Army-Navy game, which I guess makes sense that it's happening this weekend. But I I just don't... I also don't love what they've kind of turned that into. It's just basically an hour-long, 60-minutes interview until the last three minutes where they finally announce the winner. And I don't... Like, I I just could do without all the, the extra pomp and circumstance. Like, just announced the award and it's still hugely important. Like there's a ton like you can tell because every other single Heisman trophy winner comes back and stands on the podium or what have you in front of their pictures and so forth until they announce the winner. And then you join the, the Heisman house, the Heisman club, this illustrious club that uh, all the best college football players have gone into. Uh, I wonder what that's like, by the way, I wonder what, like what kind of benefits do you get for becoming a Heisman? Like, do you get some sort of, I don't know, like benefits for winning the Heisman of some kind. I'd be curious to find that out because I don't actually know. They're, they make it seem like it's a big club of some sort. And like the Masters kind of where they're all wearing the same jackets, that sort of thing. And you get like if you win the Masters at Augusta, do you get like a lifetime golf memory? Not that they couldn't afford a membership to Augusta, but do you get just all like a lifetime membership to Augusta? What is it? Augusta National Golf Course or whatever it is in, in Georgia. I would assume that's what happens, but I don't know. And same thing for the Heisman. Like if you win the Heisman, do you get like lifetime tickets to your team's games for the rest of time? Like, I don't know. It'd be interesting uh, because they make it just seem like a club or is there like a really cool dance club that they all go to that only Heisman winners could go to? That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. It's like a bar or something like the Heisman bar or something. Only Heisman winners can enter. It's like the super exclusive club. Anyways, I'm getting off track. Uh, it happened this weekend. Uh, we we put another person into the Heisman house, the Heisman club, if you will. Uh, and it was Jaden Daniels. Now, I said after last weekend when Grant Urie was on that I thought that um, Michael Penix had wrapped it up. I thought that the conference championship games, whenever they happen, they seem to give a huge edge to the players that play well if they're Heisman favorites in those games. 
And I thought for sure that after that game that Michael Penix had against Oregon to win the Pac-12 championship, punch their uh, punch their ticket to the college football playoff, I thought that he was going uh, basically a lock to get into uh, or win the Heisman. I thought it was done, but I was like sorely just incorrect. Uh, apparently, and this was after conference championship week last weekend, I was looking at the odds again and Jaden Daniels before. So last Monday was a negative 1400 favorite, a minus 14, not a negative of minus 1400 favorite to win the uh, Heisman trophy, which like that blew my mind. Cause uh, like, and he had a great season by, by, you know, obviously uh, their defense was terrible, which caused them problems in the sec. Uh, they finished, I think it was a nine and three or something like that. And they got, he got pretty fat off of some pretty bad teams. Um, but he was, again, he had a stellar game or a stellar season uh, from top to bottom. And if you look at some of the stats, which will blow everybody's mind, um, if you come if you put total yards together and total touchdowns and interceptions, he had a better season than Joe Burrow did when he took the, the, the greatest team we've ever seen to the national championship game. Now, granted that looks a lot different if it's nine and three, like I don't, is Joe Burrow winning the national championship. If they are, excuse me, is Joe Burrow winning the Heisman trophy? If that team goes nine and three, I don't know. That's a good question. No idea, but it's interesting when you put it into that perspective, when Jaden Daniels basically has a better season with total comparing total yards, total touchdowns uh, and interceptions to Joe Burrow, the way it changes, he averaged nearly 10 yards per play at quarterback, which is absurd. Um, so I guess it was surprising just because nine and three Heisman winners, you don't see very often. It's usually a team or a player that's on a very successful team. That's kind of how the Heisman works now at this point, at least I thought, uh, and then they surprised me. They surprised, even though it didn't surprise any of the betters, obviously, or Vegas by any means. They, they, again, they Penix was a, a plus 900 underdog. Jaden Daniels was a minus 1400 favorite uh, heading into Army Navy week. That was last Monday. So clearly I was wrong. I mean, clearly I was I was off put because I I guess I just developed the idea that. I don't know, the conference championships teams and the players on those conference championships teams are the ones that you're predominantly going to see winning Heisman's. And I mean, that was just incorrect. I was clearly incorrect because my, I mean, he hasn't played meaningful football. Jane Daniels hasn't played many like quote unquote, meaningful football basically the entire last month of the season. Cause they were out of the conversation for the college football playoff out of the conversation for the sec championship. Uh, so, you know, we hadn't seen him play real meaningful football to affect, you know, the, the outcome of the college football playoff or what have you, or those conference championship games in about a month. So, I guess it's a good thing that they're still, you know, it's all encompassing, if you will, for the Heisman. I mean, and that's probably too strong of a statement because, you know, running backs don't really get that look, don't get the look anymore. You have to have a truly unbelievable, unreal season uh, to get looked at as a Heisman front runner for running back or even wide receiver, like record breaking type stuff. If you even want to be looked at to win the Heisman, if you're a wide receiver or running back. So uh, to say it's all encompassing is probably a little overzealous because I do think that at this point, this, this award, the Heisman is basically just a quarterback award at this point. Um, they're the face of their teams. You know, they get the most spotlight whenever they're actually playing. And you know, the, at this point I don't see that changing very much unless again, a, a record breaking type of season from a wide receiver or a running back. So I don't know. It was just surprising to me uh, to see Jaden Daniels walk away with it, even though I thought he was going to be, I thought Michael Penix had locked it up. I thought that was Michael Penix's award to lose after that conference championship game and shows just how different. And again, apparently from some of the places that I've led or that I've led that I've read uh, a lot of those votes are actually placed before conference championship weekend, which is mind blowing to me. Like that should not be, I think, I don't think Heisman, like I think the Heisman trophy ceremony should happen after the entire season is done, like after playoff season, because we still have bowl games and stuff like that. And it would honestly add a little bit more uh, reason to watch or players to play in bowl games. Like if they really wanted to win these awards, they'd have to play in their bowl game and show out in their bowl game against a, against competition. They probably normally wouldn't typically see. Um, and I think that would be a good way to get more people to play in bowl games is have the, the, the award ceremony after the entire season is done. And then you have all your uh, big awards for college football, which, you know, there's a ton of them. There's the Maxwell, the Bednark, you know, a whole bunch of them. Um, and they name their, they name their, their, uh, awards similar to like hockey awards are where they're just named after something 
a, a player in specific, but there's not actually, it's not like the MVP trophy or anything. It's the, the Maxwell award or the Bednark award or the, uh, the, the butt kiss award, that sort of thing. Uh, and then you kind of have to figure out which one's which like the butt kiss is obviously linebacker, but the Maxwell I think is, is that best quarterback or best? Like, cause they have two, like Maxwell is either the best quarterback or the best player in the country. Cause they have, that version of the best player in the country. And then the Heisman, which is the best, best quarter or best, best player in the country. It's weird. They just end up getting higher value depending on, I guess the aura that is around them. It's kind of interesting, but I, I think it would be, it'd be better if those votes were placed at the very, very end of the season. Um, instead of, you know, before bowl season even starts because I, and again, I guess these are more like the bowl games. As I've said before, they're basically exhibition games. They don't really mean anything at the end of the day, um, unless they're playoff games, but, I think it would be a good reason for, um, and who knows how many of those players would actually end up playing it, even if they were, um, like, I don't think, you know, Jaden Daniels would end up playing in their bowl game. I don't even know what bowl game they're in, but I don't think Jaden Daniels ended up playing in their bowl game. If you know, it helped his Heisman odds or whatever, cause he still has. And I don't, I don't know if he has a whole lot of prospects outside of their bowl game, uh, like heading into the NFL. I'm not sure. Um, but like to sacrifice that for, you know, winning the Heisman, I don't like he'd, he'd have, he'd weigh his options and very quickly realize, okay, this is still not worth it. Like if I win the Heisman, great, but I'm going to go make tons of money playing in the NFL. So it's interesting. Um, but yeah, Heisman, I guess it was kind of a surprise. Some people have been calling it a weaker Heisman like season, a weaker Heisman winner, but I just don't agree with that whatsoever. Um, there was a lot of just overall, a lot of, uh, it was very chalky, I guess, at the at the end of the season for a lot of these teams with Michael Penix winning out. You know, it was, it was basically a lot of heavy favorites winning out the entire season, and to see a nine and three quarterback win it and take it home, then that is a surprise. That's a, that's quote a kind of an upset, I guess, given what we've seen throughout the season. Even though it doesn't say so on the Vegas odds, I think it was kind of an upset for me just because you don't see nine and three um, quarterbacks win uh, the Heisman. I think it's happened twice. We've seen that. I think it was. Uh, Winston, maybe you did it or no, uh, maybe Manziel may have done it. I think he was, when he was a freshman, I think they were nine and three or something like that. And I think Tebow did it when he was at Florida, uh, his second time, if he won it two times or something like that. I don't remember. It's, you see, they all run, they all bleed together. Uh, okay. Heisman, hey, Heisman. Hey, cool stuff. I, ho- I hope I get a, a ticket to enter the Heisman club at some point. Who knows? Who knows? I'll just put that out there. Hello, my friends and fellow confidants. It is time now to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, I may have a bit of a hot take here, to be honest with you. I think there is no better way to watch a game of football, especially professional football, maybe even college football, than the comfort of your own home with your big TV, your own personal snacks. You know, you don't have to go to the concession stand to get a $9 hot dog paired with a $7.5 water. No, you can have your own water. You can make your own hot dogs at home and you can just sit there on your couch and watch football. You can't do any of that, though, without a home to do it in. And Jack and Kathleen Wood are the people to do it with at 307 Real Estate. They can help you at both buy and sell property that you are looking to list or purchase in the Sheridan area and beyond. They have been part of this community since 2004 when they first moved here. And ever since, they have been working to better the community and make it a more beautiful place to live. They are both ambassadors with the Chamber of Commerce, so they know this community like the back of their hand. So they are the people that you're going to want to talk to for all of your real estate needs, whether it be buying or selling. You've all heard the slogan, call Jack, get ready to pack. And you can call Jack at 307-763-1249 or Kathleen at 307-461-7203. That's Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Big thank you to them for sponsoring the show. All right, let's talk some NFL, and I don't know how much I want to do this. The NFL is really kind of, it's not souring on me. That's that's not the correct word, but man, like there's a lot of bad football being played. I talked about it a little bit last week, but man, we had the, the precipice of it happen this week. The Vikings, the Raiders, it was just a vile game to watch. Just one of the worst, probably the worst football game I've ever lied, laid eyes on, at least in the NFL. That was one of the hardest games to ever have to watch. People purchase tickets to that, and they should be given refunds. Honestly, I know it's Las Vegas. Like, refunds just don't happen in Las Vegas. But, I mean, come on. Like, that was so bad. That was one of the worst games 
I have ever seen. I have ever seen in the history of my time watching football. There's maybe not a worse game than that. And the Vikings might be play, they they're fighting for a playoff spot and they're putting together three to nothing games. The Minnesota Wild won three to nothing on Sunday, and that's a hockey team. Just vile. Just some just terrible. And then the Saints Panthers was another terrible game. Just god awful. I can't I can't watch like basically any of the NFC South teams. I've talked about this a little bit too. Any of the NFC South teams, if you're telling me they're playing against each other. Get me out of the room, mute the TV, turn it to something else because I don't want to watch because they're terrible. They're all bad teams. None of them are good. The 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 Bucks have their moments, I guess. The Saints have a decent defense, um, but God forbid any of them are on offense because I don't want to watch any of them play on offense. It's just truly terrible. And the Bucks Falcons had a pretty decent game. We saw Baker Mayfield have a game winning drive, uh, and Desmond Ritter actually played very good for the Falcons in that game. But even like even when they're playing good, it feels ugly. You know, it's like ugh. Ugh, gross. And then Bryce Young, I feel for Pan I feel for Bryce Young and I mean Panthers fans in general. That that is clearly a very poorly run franchise right now. Uh and Bryce Young, I still I'm still a believer. I'm still a believer in Bryce Young. I don't you know, he hasn't shown a whole lot, to be honest with you. CJ Stroud also did not have a great game against uh against the Jets. He went out hurt as well, but um but CJ Stroud has clearly been far and away the better of the road the two rookie quarterbacks, uh the top two picks in the previous draft. So and Bryce Young being the number one overall pick, that'll clearly be, uh, that clearly weighs on every number one overall pick that's ever existed. So, you know, I still believe in Bryce Young. I, I, I see it. I, I see it at times. There, There's a lot of stuff wrong with that Panthers team. They're just constructed very poorly, especially on offense. I think their defense still has a, yeah, has a chin. Like, they traded away a lot of good defensive pieces, I think, uh, in the offseason, but... I, there's there's some hope. There's a little tiny bit of hope on defense. The offense just needs to be swept clean and just do start over. Let's do something else uh, from here on out. Keep Bryce Young, clear everybody else out. That that contract they gave to Miles Sanders. Granted, he had a pretty good game uh, yesterday, but for the most part, he's been just truly terrible this season. And the contract they gave him is not looking to be very good um, this time next year or the year after or what have you. Uh, just not a very good contract there. So, um, but yeah, the entire NFC South just disgusting just a gross gross com or a division to watch and somebody's going to win that division and become and and play a playoff game they're going to go into the playoffs and have to take on a team like the cowboys or something like that at home they're going to play a cowboys team at home or something like that it's just going to be vile or i guess not even the probably maybe even the eagles given what happened last night could be the eagles at home just disgusting just a disgusting 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 division <laughs> um the lions as well the lions uh yeah, we got a little something going. We got some problems brewing in in Detroit right now. Uh, they lost to the to the Chicago Bears twenty eight to thirteen. It was a kind of a blowout, if I'm being honest with you. Twenty eight to thirteen seems. I mean, that's not a close game, but it's that honestly seems a little closer than uh, than what it actually felt like. The Lions kind of got curb stomped in that game, um, but they have really struggled, especially defensively. Since week seven, uh, when they lost to the Ravens, got blown out by the Ravens, the Lions defense since then has ranked 31st in both success rate allowed and EPA per pass allowed and 29th in EPA per play. They have some real problems going on in Detroit when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, their pass rush has not been nearly as good since those first two, six weeks in the season. Aiden Hutchinson and and company have not been very good at all. Um They've been terrible defending the intermediate part of the field uh, and have been torched in the the short passing game, especially on the right side of the field um, since week seven. Just I, I think the Ravens kind of latched onto something that they saw. And now basically every other team is kind of latching onto things that they saw as well that the Ravens saw uh, and what they got from that Ravens game and just kind of manipulating a lot of what's happening on the outside uh, of what we've seen in the intermediate part of the field from the Lions. And that's a it's a big problem like they they've been really bad defensively since uh, that week seven loss to the Ravens. And it's, it's, you know, some injuries of course, but every team is going through that war of attrition, especially on the defensive side uh, on with the injuries and such, but uh, they just have not adjusted well since week seven against the Ravens. And um, it'll be interesting to see what they can kind of put together to win out. I mean, and again, they are in the, uh, the driver's seat in that division in the NFC North, but the Packers have started to look better under Jordan Love. Um, and they've got the Lions have a couple difficult games at the end of their season. They're going to take on Denver at home. Not the most difficult game in the season, but Denver has has looked a lot better over these last few weeks, obviously. And then at Dallas in week 17, they have two Minnesota games in between and uh, against Minnesota on uh, at home in week 18 and then uh, at Minnesota in week 16 and then Denver 15 
and then Dallas 17. So the Denver Dallas game is definitely like the, those two are ones that will probably be the toughest competition between the two Minnesota games as well. Uh, Minnesota, I just, is there any confidence in what we just saw from that team? Granted, their defense has played a lot better uh, over the most recent weeks, obviously. Um, holding any team to, sh- to zero points, regardless of who it is, is very difficult. Um, but, I mean, that offense doesn't seem like it can do anything. Like, the, the pastronaut days have really kind of subsided. I mean, like, that, that Atlanta game with Josh Dobbs, uh, the Minnesota Vikings with Josh Dobbs, at quarterback, and him finding a way to win, seems like a long time ago. <laughs> seems like a very, very long time ago. So those are two... Uh, very easily, not easily, but winnable games for Detroit that they should win against Minnesota in um, in both of those games. But Denver, Dallas, those we'll see. I have no idea. I really have no idea which Denver team is ever going to show up. It just kind of feels like it's a flip of a coin every week. You know, granted they've been very good the last few weeks. They've got also gotten very turnover uh, lucky. They lead the league in turnover since week seven. Um, in the takeaways, I guess is what I should say since week seven, I think they have a plus 18 turnover differential since week seven or something ridiculous like that. And they've also gotten like really good field position off of that as well. So there's some turnover luck involved in that. Their offense hasn't been stellar by any means. Um, again, it's just a lot of really good turnover luck and field position because of that turnover luck that has, uh, made them, uh, one of the hotter teams in the NFL since then. Um, but Dallas, I mean, Dallas, if they're on, if you're playing on the road at Dallas and that's what the Lions will be doing, you're in for, at least from what we've seen so far this year, you're in for a bad time because Dallas is very, very good at home. They're a completely different team on the road, but they are a very, very good team on the, uh, at home in the friendly confines, if you will, of uh, Cowboy Stadium. So, the, the Detroit, I, I still think they make the playoffs. I still think they probably win the division in the NFC North, um, but they might have, given where we were, I guess, five weeks ago when we were like, Detroit might be the best team in the NFC. Um, they, they're probably going to have a pretty difficult first playoff game to start uh, their playoff push to try to make the Super Bowl. And, you know, that's not uh, that's not an easy, easy conference, especially how top-heavy it is. Not an easy conference to go through with the, the Niners, the Cowboys now at this point, and then the Eagles as well, even though the Eagles have looked a little shaky the last few weeks. But um, still, I like if the Eagles and the Lions play right now, I'd, st- I'd still probably take the Eagles, especially if they're in Philadelphia. But we'll see the Lions. They, they've got a lot to work out. I still think their offense has, has been very good. I think Ben uh, Ben Johnson is one of the better offensive coordinators in the, in the game, and I think he's probably... Uh, I don't know what his contract looks like, but I think he came back, re-signed with the Detroit Lions to come and coach again um, under Dan Campbell. And I would imagine after this season, like he might be looking for other opportunities because he's definitely going to get head coaching jobs um, as well. He's he's because of how well he's turned this offense and really cheered Goff into a, a pretty decent quarterback at that position. So, I mean, if you can turn a, a quarterback like Jared Goff, who was really just in the gutters when he was leaving uh, Los Angeles to come to Detroit and turn him into a pretty decent quarterback. Like you're going to get jobs. You're going to get head coaching jobs with that sort of uh, resume. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if Detroit, if Detroit can turn it around and maybe make a run in the NFC, or if this pattern that we've seen over the last, what is it? Seven weeks, six weeks or so um, continues through that time. And uh, if, if they really start to, tailspin because i mean they kind of have over the last few weeks they've they've won they've won a couple shootouts obviously um with uh wins against chicago again 31 to 26 at los angeles the chargers 41 to 38 uh against new orleans 33 to 28 so a couple shootouts in those games in, in that game against new orleans they jumped out to a huge lead and then just let new orleans come back in and what we just saw from new orleans which they had a good game but i mean still like watching Derek carr run that offense is just not fun and they don't look like a very high powered offense. So to allow 28 points to that, uh, to that offense with uh, a team like the lions who are looking for super bowl aspirations, that's not great. That's not, that's not a great look. And then, and the Chargers as well, 41 to 38 scre- uh, you know, um, a screeching past the chargers who have been just God awful. The, the last few weeks, um, it's just not great. It's not, not not a great look. Their offense included. Their offense has not been very good. But again, they were healthier at that time. But, and no excuses. No excuses. No excuses. And again, Denver going in the complete opposite direction. They are a team heavily benefiting from a defense that's really turned the corner. Vance Joseph, with all the stuff that they have taken uh, after those first six weeks, they got shelled by the Dolphins. Everybody remembers that. I Even I was talking about on here how they were the worst um, statistically the worst defense by DVOA 
uh, in the history of the NFL through, I think it was like five or six weeks or something like that. Um, and they have completely turned it around. Their defense is playing a, a lot better. Their ability to turn the ball over has been very good. Granted, that is there is some luck based upon that. Um, but the fact that even when they're not turning the ball over, they're limiting points has been very good. They limited that Chargers, um, the, the Chargers offense to seven points this weekend. Again, Justin Herbert got hurt, didn't play most of that game. And in general, like the in-season turnaround that Vance Joseph and this defense has been able to put together. Again, their offense hasn't been stellar by any means. They've really, really toned down um, how much they want Russell Wilson doing. Like they've really turned him into kind of a robot, into a machine. They're they're not really wanting Russ to cook anymore. They're like, hey, what if you blend? Let's just let's have you blend for a little bit. Maybe not cook, um, but the the defense again from week one to week six. Week one, uh, week six was that at Chiefs game where it was like nineteen to eight. wasn't you know a seller game. But then week seven, uh, we'll go. I'm comparing, I guess, is what I'm saying here. Uh, from week one to week six, they were uh, the defense was thirty second in EPA per play, thirty first in success rate, thirty second in EPA per pla- uh, EPA per pass, thirtieth in EPA per rush. Uh, 31st in early down EPA per play, 28th in explosive rate, 26th in explosive pass rate, 28th in explosive rush rate, and 31st in average starting position, field position. And that's weeks one through six. And then from seven, week seven from from week seven to week 13, whatever we're in now, I think it's 13. Uh, I can't remember, dude. Like it, it, it's all bleeding together. Week 13, week 14, whatever we're at. Whatever we're at, where we're at now. Um, week seven to now. Uh, they're fifth in EPA per play, 14th in success rate, seventh in EPA per pass, eighth in EPA per rush, ninth in early down EPA per play, 24th in explosive rate, so still allowing quite a bit of explosive plays, um, but ninth in explosive pass rate, uh, 29th in explosive rush rate. So a lot of those explosive plays seemingly coming from um, big rush plays uh, against the Broncos defense. And then fifth in average starting field position. Again, that starting field position comes from. Uh, largely turnovers and such or bat punts or whatever um, that turn into um, good starting field position. And Denver has been really lucky on the turnovers part of it, but their, their entire defense has really turned around and been very good. Again, their offense is still not anything to really write home about. They're kind of just giving Russ the ball and really giving him first read options. And then saying after that, uh, feel, feel, feel free to scramble. And if you have an open lane, then take it. Um, But outside of that, you know, they're not really letting him, cook anymore and i think that's probably the right call clearly i mean he hasn't turned the ball over nearly as much he's not making as many dangerous throws he's been very safe with the ball uh and it's uh it's helped him uh, immensely especially on their defensive side as well giving them uh points to work with and not having to play from behind as often um but the denver there's one thing that is still probably a little bit alarming for the broncos it's their right side uh pass defense the right side of the field has been really tough for them uh when defending the pass anyways, the intermediate stuff over the middle has been very, very good. These last few weeks, very good at stopping intermediate and uh, middle part of the field stuff on the left side. There's some really good stuff to be seen there in terms of success rate and EPA per play um, when throwing the football, but on the right side, for whatever reason uh, they get torched on the right side of the football field. uh, Whenever uh, anybody throws right, either whether it be short intermediate behind the line of scrimmage deep, uh, they're one of the worst teams is stopping the, the pass uh, on the right side of the field for whatever reason. Like, I, I don't know if we can pinpoint exactly what the problem is there. It could be a uh, cornerback alignment or whatever. Um, but it's been, it's been odd. It's a, it's a weird tendency uh, that has come about this year is that right side of the field for the Broncos uh, on defense. Anyways, that has been kind of a mess for whatever reason. It's a, it's a weird thing. Um, but yeah, the Broncos like a, an incredible turnaround, an incredible turnaround for that team so far. And don't look now, by the way, don't look now. Uh, but very quietly, one game back of Kansas City for the lead in the AFC West. Very, very quietly. They've won, what is it, seven out of their last eight? One, two, three, four, five, six, six out of their last seven. Um, and very, very sneakily snuck up right behind Kansas City uh, to be within striking distance to really make a push for uh, that uh, AFC West title. Like, no joke. And honestly, and I, you know, I wouldn't say... Denver's better than Kansas City by any means right now, but they're definitely hotter. They're hotter than Kansas City. Kansas City has not looked very good, especially offensively the last few weeks. Their defense has been really banged up uh, over since, you know, I, I was singing their praises when they were taking on like Miami and that defense basically won them that game. They've been really banged up since then. Uh, and it's been a struggle for them to find defensive footing once again. Um, but the Broncos, like they don't have, don't look now. Okay. But they don't have a very difficult schedule coming up. They got at Lions. That's going to be a tough game. 
I believe that's on Thursday night as well. If I remember correctly, let me double check that. Excuse me, Saturday night, not Thursday night. It's on Saturday night. Um, But then after that, they're at home against the Patriots. That should be a win Uh, at home against the Chargers. That should be a win. They just blew out the Chargers. Uh, And then on the road at the Raiders, who knows going to be starting a quarterback for them, but that should also be a win for this Broncos team. So very quietly could end the game in the season with a 10 seven record um, and finding themselves not at the, at the very least in the playoffs in a wild card position. Granted, the AFC is very, very loaded in the, in the hunt section of the, uh, the, the graphic that we see on all those uh, on every football game, essentially. Um, but uh, could also be finding a way to sneak in as the AFC West winners. If, if, uh, if nothing else. So um, who knows? Keep an eye on the Broncos, a defense that is good enough to win them football games that turns the ball over a lot, takes the ball away from opposing teams, offenses. Um, and then a offense that does just enough, does just enough to get them over the edge and win football games. Um, a lot of close football games, but wins them football games nonetheless. So keep an eye. I mean, keep an eye on the Broncos. They're they're They've turned it around very much. So Sean Payton, I mean, I was, I was laughing and joking at the fact that he was not doing very good at the start of the season. That entire team was a disaster at the start of the season, offense defensively. Um, and then very again, very quietly, just, uh, you know, got their put their heads down and they got to work. And here they are. So winners of six of the last seven arguably could have won a, a seven in a row, a close game against the Texans that ended up being a loss. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the Broncos Broncos, who, who knows what, well, the, where they will be in the AFC by the time, uh, by the time the playoffs roll around, I do think that like AFC is a little, it's more questionable from, I think real contenders on that side of the, uh, on that side of the conference you have, I mean, you can all, you always have to worry about um, the, the chiefs. Obviously I don't know. I mean, they're not, you know, they have not been impressive, but again, greatest quarterback on planet earth and so on and so forth. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to not, you know, want to pick them obviously, but they have not looked nearly as good, but the Ravens, um, that's a team that I think is very good as well, but they had a very shaky game against the Rams. They took a, a, a decided that was a, that needed a, um, a punt return for a, a punt return for a touchdown to win that game in overtime. The Dolphins, again, another one of those teams that have had a um, feasted on bad teams for the most part, I would say, and then kind of struggled against good teams. So kind of who knows what team you're going to get out of those games. Uh, but again, if the Dolphins are playing at home in the, in the playoffs, then I would, you know, heavy Dolphins, but you know, who knows? And I think the, the NFC is a lot more top heavy than the AFC is. And the AFC is a little bit more, uh, I, I could definitely see a wildcard team sneaking into the Super Bowl from the AFC more so than I can the NFC. Cause the NFC, I mean, the, the Niners look unbelievable. Um, the, the Cowboys have looked really good the past few weeks. The Eagles, even though they've looked sketchy again, um, still a very good football team that would not be a fun team to play against in uh, the NFC playoffs. And even the Lions, again, the Lions as well, even though their defense has been very, uh, very sketchy as well, um, I would I would put money on anything that Dan Campbell is going to find a way to fix that and, you know, turn right the ship, if you will, in Detroit. So we'll see. We'll see what the Broncos, if they sneak their way into the playoffs, they could make some noise. If their defense continues to play well, take some, create some turnovers and such, they could make noise against a decent, a good AFC team. Um, maybe, maybe even avenge if they make it in, avenge that loss to the Dolphins earlier this season and, and shock everyone that 70 to 20 loss go back in during the playoffs, go back to Miami and avenge the loss. They would have a lot of motivation for that game. If that were to happen, that'd be interesting to see. Um, all right. I think that ladies and gentlemen is going to, uh, wrap up the show. Yeah. I think it's a good stopping point. Again, uh, I guess final quick notations of this episode, mainly number one, the only, actually it's the only notation that we need. The, the only thing that we need teach your kid, to play baseball that's you just if you're going to take away anything from this podcast from this episode that's what it should be teach your kid to play baseball and then let the rest of it just happen if he goes into baseball you know he's going to be set pretty well for the rest of his life so just teach him how to play baseball and uh you're good and that's that's kind of that should be the theme of this episode all right ladies and gentlemen we'll be back next week talking uh you know, whatever. Who knows? Maybe we'll have another $750 million contract to talk about next week. We'll see. All right. I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. Podcast.